Today on CityCast Denver. COVID-19 affected everyone and everything. Music makers, restaurants, artists, and those of us who enjoy music makers and great food. They both make us go, hmm, more please. There is no place like Dazzle. I don't care. Take it to the bank. I said it because Dazzle has done something and has set the bar. Denver's always setting the bar high. Today is Wednesday, July 21st, 2021. I'm Danielle Betts, and this is CityCast Denver. And now, the news. Denver can expect highs in the low 90s, with a chance of storms this afternoon. Here in Aurora, where I live, the high is expected to reach 88, so a bit cooler. But still be careful out there, especially walking your dogs. It would be hot on their feet. One news story that caught my eye was about a driver who was speeding at 167 miles an hour on a highway near Denver, while he was live-streaming his action. The driver... Brian Kirby was convicted of vehicular homicide last week because he smashed into another vehicle and killed that driver. I just asked, what were you thinking? In other news, a lot of people have been hoping, wishing, praying for one thing to happen, and that is the reopening of the iconic Casa Bonita restaurant. There have been rallies and loud cries. There was even an event called Save Casa Bonita back in April where different news outlets have reported that Casa Benita could open as soon as the end of July or maybe the first part of August. When it happens, CityCast Denver will let you know. When it does, have a soap appeal for me. The other day, I was speaking to my friend Donald Rossa, one of the owners of Dazzle. I've known Donald for over 20 years now. Donald is a real activist for human rights. Not only does he highlight jazz and serve amazing food, but he highlights issues of concern throughout the Denver community. Last summer, as we were able to gather a little bit, Dazzle hosted me for a series of conversations about race, and he brought up the 1918 pandemic. He said that he had read that that was an explosion of creative energy that happened in the years following, led by folks like Louis Armstrong. Well, to me, I feel that same energy happening in Denver today, led by musicians, visual artists, poets, food makers, and the like. I've spent a lot of time in the Five Points neighborhood over the years, documenting the musicians, artists, businesses, etc. So I wanted to see if that creative energy that happened after the 1918 pandemic that I feel now could be put into context and connected somehow. Here we are headed into the new, new location of Dazzles. Okay, let's go on in. The new Dazzle with uh, the one and only Pernell Steen and my good friend Paul. And we're going in to check it out, see what's happening. Joining me first is Pernell Steen, Denver's musical griot, and a living historian on the music, culture, people, and business of Five Points and Denver. And oh yeah, he happens to be a world-class musician. He knew George Morrison Sr., violinist, club owner, racial barrier breaker, and his cousin to Charles Burrell, bassist who played in Five Points during his heyday. And Purnell is also my cousin. We are having a great conversation now with uh, Mr. Purnell Steen. He's known as the, really the historian of Five Points, and in particular Five Points Jazz. 
So we were talking off mic earlier about the pandemic of 1918. And after that kind of subsided somewhat, that seemed to be a real, real uptick on creativity when it came to arts, in particular music, led by Louis Armstrong. You were mentioning, Pernell, that you felt the effect from your, as you call him, your other grandfather, uh, Mr. George Morrison Sr., and he told you about what was happening in the scene in, in Five Points and in Denver at the time. Can you tell us more about that? Well, yes. Uh, uh, first of all, George Morrison was a classically trained violinist. Realized that he was not going to be able to get a career in classical music, so he started off this stuff called jazz. It was in its infancy. So Mr. Morrison created this wonderful band, took his band to... Europe in 1923, whereupon he played for King George V of Great Britain, the current Queen's grandfather. Mm. So the band played to raging successes in Europe. He said, we played them, boy, we played them. And he came back, got a phone call to go to New York City to take it to conduct a piece of jungle music composed by George Gershwin. So he told me, he said, he got on the train. He said, sure, I'll do it. Knocked on the door. Door opened, he said, I'm Morrison. The person at the door said, you didn't tell us you were colored. He said, you didn't ask. He was very <laughs> droll about that. So they said, well, you, you can't conduct these fine European-trained musicians. He said, well, I'm European-trained too. So they said, well, what are we going to do? The publication was already out. People were coming on slow boats from Europe. So George Morrison said, well, you know, I've got a buddy in Denver from Denver. He said, I'll get in touch with him. His buddy happened to be Paul Whiteman. And that was the first quote-unquote integrated band, orchestra, right? That is correct. Mm -hmm. Yes. And Paul Whiteman came here in 1956. I was in the, I was one of two brown people in the All-State Orchestra that year. Paul Whiteman conducted us and George Morrison was there and they came that day and I have never seen so much love between two people. And you know, when you're young, Donnie, you don't understand the magnitude of someone's greatness nor their reputation. But in retrospect, years later, just seeing these two giants of music who were the ebony and the ivory. I think that was what was beautiful. Tell us what Five Points, the style of playing Five Points jazz is. It was, I always, I often tell people, you know, Denver was the Mecca because as the musicians, especially the brown-skinned musicians, came west on U.S. Highway 40, they had to come directly to Denver. Coming from Kansas City. Coming from Kansas City, yes, on their way to the West Coast. So even though Kansas was admitted to the Union as a free state, they still could not get public accommodations. And when they got here... They found this wonderfully vibrant, thriving community of brown people. For example, there were two, two cab companies, both owned by African-American women, Ida Lewis and Men Drescher. Beautiful entrepreneurs back in Absolutely. the day. You know, Madam C.J. Walker, Walker stopped here, yes, so sir. Denver has a real history of African-American women being great yes. entrepreneurs and yes. having a real foothold in this community. Uh -huh. 
you have renamed your band. So oh, let, yes. Yes. What is the new name of your band? So now we are the Five Points Ambassadors. So long story short, no more jazz machine? Well, it's going to be, it's still, it'll always be there. Okay. I created a band called Pernell Steen and La Jazz Machine. And it was it was really uh, very interesting how I came about the name. But it was dedicated, if you notice on my website, it'll say, you know, we're dedicated to playing and the perpetuation and promulgation of the sounds of five points that I heard as a young man. And largely in part due to 100-year-old living legend whose name is Charles Burrell. Charles Burrell is the last living musician who played at the Rossonian during its heyday. And we figured out Charles Burrell is the last living musician who played for Lady Day. This is the man who broke the color barrier in classical music. And we were very blessed to have been on the roster to play at City Park on the 4th of July. That's where we had Charlie Burrell there. And I'll tell you what, I gave the audience an overview from the stage and we were all standing there in a puddle of, of tears because 7,000 people stood up and gave him a 20-minute roaring standing ovation. I love it. He, de- he deserves it. One of the reasons we went to Dazzle the day we did was an act going on that evening, Stafford Hunter's Young Lions. Stafford Hunter is a world-class jazz musician, and his Young Lions are high school and college-age musicians. That's who you hear warming up in the background. One of the questions I want to ask you, too, is do you see yourself as that bridge from from that time to today for like these young musicians out there playing now? I guess I've lived that long. <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And you know what? And they're, they're playing Duke Ellington in the back. Do nothing till you hear from me. Things they certainly ain't what they used to be. Right. Don't get much around by, anymore. Uh, don't get around much anymore. And yes. You know, and the, the you know, it's something interesting that sometimes as you see trends in history, things are so old, some things that are two to three generations old, they're suddenly new again. It's, re, it's that cyclical theory of history yes. and the arts. What do you see today? What are you hearing today? You know, what really is disturbing to me, there's a vast, huge difference uh, obviously, you know, 103 years have passed since the beginning of the last pandemic. The problem, unfortunately, jazz is at its critical juncture because of what Ronald Reagan did in the United States to destroy the arts. Mm. You know, by defunding arts and education at the primary grades, you know, I, I used to just rail against what I heard these young people producing and then suddenly it dawned on me, they had not been exposed to music and they had not got been given the foundational musical tools to, do out, to go out and, and create. So now, fortunately enough, we do have dedicated arts schools, mm-hmm. you know, but without those, especially in this area, you know, jazz is, it's, it's constantly evolving, obviously, because this is the only art form which was created in this in this hemisphere. You know, people are playing. It's it's great that it's part of the curriculum, but they're playing it cerebrally. 
you know, and right, right. not from the soul, not, not from, from the, the soul. And and this this is the legacy. Many of the early jazz musicians could not read music. Right. So they had to play what, and was, they what played, was in their soul. And they played what was in their soul. Right. Um, I've been in situations where with young people, they'll say, let's play something. They'll say, is it in the book? They're not using their ears. You know, right. they're saying they can read it. I said, now let's play. And I had this happen countless times. I said, let's do a 12-bar blues and F. They can't do it. So it's constantly evolving. However, let's make sure we don't lose the foundation. Again, we've been uh, speaking with uh, Pernell Steen about the history of Five Points. Now we're going to talk to the one of the co-owners of this great, great fine establishment, uh, Mr. Matt Ruff. Matt, welcome. Thanks, Tony. It's great to be here. So, Dazzles is unique. Unique in the fact that you have five owners, correct? Four. Four, Four owners, owners, okay. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about that. You know, a little bit of the history. You're in a historical building. Sure. Let's talk about that history of how this all came to be. Well, I mean, going back to the late 90s, um, Dazzle... Uh, was opened uh, in an old Japanese restaurant on the corner of 9th and Lincoln. So the the Japanese restaurant was converted to um, a cafe uh, by our original owners, Miles Schneider and Karen Stork. Um, Karen is a a chef and Miles is an entrepreneur and Karen always wanted to open a restaurant. Miles was out of town for a weekend on a business trip and came back and Karen said, I bought a restaurant. And he said, what? Um, And then they spent the next couple weeks renovating the space um, and kind of opened it up as a high-end cafe in in Capitol Hill. Well, I mean, if you know the history of Capitol Hill in the late 90s, high-end cafe isn't exactly what the neighborhood was looking for. Um, But thankfully, they were able to keep the the doors open for a while. Um, They brought Donald Ross into the fold a couple years after opening, lifelong restaurateur, and they knew they they needed somebody with that experience to run the place. Um, Donald stepped into into the place and looked at the raised areas. Um, that the restaurant had, which at the, when it was a Japanese restaurant, there were the kabuki rooms that you just kind of sat in. Well, they, they um, kept them as seating areas um, for the cafe. But Donald said, that looks like a stage. We should put a band up there. And so one Friday night, they put the Bob Montgomery Big Band up on the stage. He played Friday and Saturday night to a sold-out house, and we've been doing live music ever since. Beautiful. We moved to this location in June of 2017. Um, we were just, the old building was getting small and run down. I mean, all constant electrical issues. Okay. The dining room was, during the summertime, the dining room would get up to about 85, 88 degrees at night for seven <laughs> o'clock shows. And people would be fanning themselves and asking us if we can turn the AC on. And we're like, Doors it's working open. as hard as it can. <laughs> um, but then, you know, the opportunity moved, uh, came up for us to move to this space. And the historic Bowers building um, in downtown Denver was just uh, it, I think it was a perfect marriage for us. It really yeah. was. It took us a little while to figure out how to make this space um, work for us, uh, just because it's a much different look and feel than the old place was. Uh, Donald describes the old bar as a New York jazz club, and this place as a New Orleans jazz club. Yeah, I would um, say that's true. Yeah, right. I mean, kind of see that, you know, the old place was dark and dingy and small windows, and this place is big and open with big windows, so uh, um, it's definitely different. But creating the intimacy in this place that, that a lot of people miss from the old place was challenging. But, you know, I've, I've gone back through and read a lot of our Google reviews recently, and intimacy has been a, been a thing they're all talking about, how intimate this place is. So I think we've actually achieved that, which, I, which I'm, I'm happy about. We did the very last 
performance at the old place, June 1, 2017. We played the opening. June the 1st, we opened this venue up. And I, I got chills because I was of, here. <laughs> you, that's right. Yes, you were. We were so fortunate to have been here in November of last year. Uh, let me first of all stop. There is no place like Dazzle. I don't care. Take it to the bank. I said it because Dazzle has done something and has set the bar. Denver's always setting the bar high. During this global, horrific devastation, Dazzle stayed open on a very minuscule basis. Dazzle created the pantry. I saw this in action. In fact, we're sitting at it right now where out-of-work musicians and artists could come in and get a bag of groceries free. Bit and jam. Bread and jam. And they, hey, they had some spam and ham, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Stafford Hunter, trombonist here in Denver, uh, originally from New York. Musicians-wise, right now, and everybody's hungry to play, you know, for sure. <laughs> and uh, I find that some of the uh, audiences are hungry for music, so a lot of folks are coming out. And uh, I think it, it helped some musicians to really think about, okay, you know, well, I got to start doing some stuff on my own. So here in Colorado, folks already have all these lawn uh, concerts, you know, having concerts in the parks. And uh, so it forced a lot of people to get creative because there was, you know, there's was no, no place to create music, play music. You know, a friend of mine, Rico Jones, uh, he, had, he had a series at Sloan Lake, basically right on his uh, front yard. Hundreds of people would come to that every Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And, uh, you know, even during this pandemic, everybody sat, you know, six, eight, ten feet away from each other, out with their families, dogs and everything. And, you know, and, and it seemed like normal times. And the band is halfway across the street and uh, got a PA system, you know, and they created this situation where musicians needed to play. You know, it's, and it's surely a need, you know, and love to play. And people were dying for for this art, you know, and uh, and they would come, you know, every week. You know, and they'd be out there, you know, even if it rained, folks were staying in the rain and and, uh, and listening to the music. It was pretty incredible for me to see, you know. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. I'm Donnie Betts. I look forward to spending more time with you.